Well, it's nice to have this opportunity of worshipping together here in this home where we have been so much at home since we came. We have no doubt that it has been the grace of God we have encountered in the home that has made it home. If you would turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and the chapter 10, I'd like to speak on the subject of dead flies and stinking ointment. Verse 1 reads, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. So doth a little folly in him that is in reputation for wisdom and honour. Perhaps we could just ask the Lord to help us now by bowing in prayer. Lord, we come to thee. We pray that thou wilt speak to us here. What an honour it is for us, Lord, a small little gathering, that we may request and be assured of the presence of the Holy God amongst us. And not only to be amongst us, but to minister unto our souls. O God, have mercy upon us and bless us today through thy precious word as it is opened up and applied to us by the Holy Ghost. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The ointment of the apothecary was a sweet-smelling ointment or balm, the main use of which was the preparation of the dead for burial. We may confirm this by turning back to Second Chronicles and the chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16, and there we have a reference to the use of this ointment. The chapter 16, here is the great king Asa. He has died, and they bury him in his own sepulchres, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in the bed which was filled with sweet odors and divers kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art. And they made a very great burning for him. We need no more expand its use in this fashion, except just to comment that in Mark's Gospel, the chapter 16, we read of the women folk bringing sweet spices that they might minister unto the Lord Jesus Christ. This was actually the morning of the resurrection, the day after the Sabbath. And so you see that it is something that was common in the land of Israel, and I'm sure in all of that region, that the dead were wound up in sheets that were themselves covered with sweet spices, sweet-smelling spices. Mark chapter 16. But of course, when the women arrived, the Savior had already received the attention of Nicodemus. We saw that when we were preaching on Nicodemus, how he, uh, along with Joseph of Arimathea, John chapter 19, they had ministered unto the Lord Jesus. Verse 39 Uh, of John 19, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and he brought a mixture of 
myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. I would just say this about the Lord Jesus, that he didn't need spices, because when the Savior died, he rose again. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 27, Peter applies a quotation regarding David to the Savior. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because I wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Of course, the spices were used in the burial of the dead in order to conceal the smell of corruption. But in the case of the Lord Jesus, he never saw corruption. I suppose, though it speaks of the love of Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and the women folk, it speaks of their love that they were coming to so minister to Christ. But it also speaks, and we say the word gently, of their unbelief. Because had they really understood and believed that the Lord Jesus was going to rise the third day, as he had taught them, they would not have come to attend to him in this fashion. He wouldn't have needed it. But that's only by the way we're simply showing you the use that this ointment that's spoken of in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1 was an ointment chiefly used in the burial of the dead. And when it was so used, then that place that would have otherwise been filled with the stench of death and corruption, was for a time transformed and made to be a sweet-smelling place. And this is a wonderful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. The grace of our Lord Jesus, working through the Holy Spirit, transforms the dead sinner, stinking with his sin, into a holy saint, perfumed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martha said of her brother Lazarus, Behold, he stinketh. He had been buried, he was in the tomb for four days, and corruption was taking place. But when Christ raised him from the dead, and gave the order, Loose him and let him go, there departed from Lazarus, the smell of death. The grave clothes, they would have carried the stench of his former condition. But when the people loosed him, took off the grave clothes, then the living Lazarus ceased to smell as did the dead Lazarus. That's what God does. That's the transformation that is made in the sinner when salvation comes. Romans, the chapter 4, or chapter 6 rather, and the verse 4, and I have for a long, long, long time always encouraged the congregation not just to listen to me quoting the verse, but look it up. Uh, I do wish all preachers would do that. 
I have been in many congregations, and as I have been preaching, I have noticed that there's very little effort made to open the Bible and follow me. Because they're used to a minister simply saying, as it says in Romans, and then quoting the verse, and he's away on before they can ever get to the verse by turning the pages of their Bible, so they don't bother. And I have never liked that. I've always felt that they should see the verse that I'm reading, because they have a double impression. Not only do they hear it, but they see it on the page in front of them. And that's a double memory. And you know, what you see usually lasts longer than what you hear. That's why television is so fascinating to children. They just are so attracted to what they see, what they see. Uh, And we therefore should always look at the Bible as well as listen to what is being said. So, having said all that, look at Romans 6. And the verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We become partakers of Christ's resurrection. That's what it means to be born again. We receive life from heaven. And we're raised up like Lazarus to walk in newness of life. And what's interesting is that that little word newness in verse 4 of Romans 6 means freshness. Freshness. We open the window in the morning. What to do? Let in the fresh air. Let in the fresh air. To renew the atmosphere in the room. And that's what God does with us when he saves us. He gives us new life. And it's fresh life. It's fragrant life. It's fragrant life. So, there is a wonderful picture here in the use of the apothecary's uh, ointment when the Jews buried the dead. There's a wonderful picture of the work of God the Holy Ghost bringing to us new life, the new life of Christ, which brings also a freshness, a perfume, a sweetness, a sweetness. That's why I say that that verse we were looking at earlier in Psalm 104, my meditations of him shall be sweet. My meditation of him shall be sweet. When we meditate, We are digesting the word that we're looking at. That's what it really means, I'm sure. We're taking it in. We're absorbing it into our hearts, our minds, making it part of us. Now, when you do that with Christ, then there is wrought in you a sweetness. I thought also of Psalm 34, where in the verse 8, It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. O taste and see that the Lord is good. When you taste Christ, the perfume of Christ will be left in your mouth and on your breath. Someone who has partaken of something sweet, you can can detect the sweetness on their breath. That, That sweetness, that sweet smell, that perfume comes forth from them. And if you partake of Christ, the sweetness of Christ 
will savour your words, perfume your words, and what you breathe out every day, it will be detected. It will be detected. So I, I come back, I wander just a little, but I come back to the fact that here we have a picture. The use of the apothecary's ointment is a picture of what happens when, by the grace of God, we're saved. There is a perfuming of us so that we take on the fragrance of the Lord Jesus. But, there's a solemn warning here in this verse, the text speaks of the marring or the spoiling of that sweetness. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. You see, a believer may lose the sweet fragrance of the Holy Spirit's power and grace and when that happens the fragrance of Christ is lost in our life and we become offensive to the Lord that's why in Revelation chapter 3 and the verse 14 through to 16 you find the Savior saying to the church at Laodicea I will spew you out of my mouth Quite literally, that is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we know why such a reaction takes place within us. Something we have eaten becomes very disagreeable to our body. And our body feels it must reject it. And this is what the Savior says. The church in Laodicea had lost out, ceased to walk with God. And in consequence... They became offensive, and the Saviour said, I will, I will spew you out forth. The sweetness had become sour. I know that when I was young, I loved to drink what we called sweet milk, which is just ordinary milk. Uh, it was called sweet milk to distinguish it from buttermilk. I don't know if you ever have drunk buttermilk, which is what's left after the butter is taken off the milk. Uh, it's not that sweet though it was commonly drunk it's very refreshing but sweet milk can go sour if you leave it it'll, it'll turn into a dreadful mixture sending forth an awful smell well the people of God can lose the sweetness of Christ and become very very sour the old sinful nature begins to break through. The stink of the old sinful nature begins to break through. Because the sweetness of Christ is declining. And the old smells of sin are coming through. And what an offensive thing it is to God that a Christian is thus contaminated by sin. Now I want you to notice first of all here that it doesn't take much to mar the sweetness of grace in our lives. doesn't take much. Why do I say that? Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. Dead flies. Just a small little creature like a fly can corrupt the sweet-smelling ointment and change its sweet fragrance into an offensive stench. And so it is that the child of God through the flesh, through the world through the temptations of Satan, may be quickly turned into something that is offensive to God. You know, flies are attracted to sweetness. 
The flies get into the kitchen. They don't fly to the salt, but they fly to the sugar. They home in on the jam and the honey, because there's a sweetness there. Even so, sin seeks out the saint of God. The devil seeks out the saint of God. The world seeks out the saint of God to corrupt, to destroy. And it only takes one fly to corrupt. One fly can corrupt. Think of that one fly. Its entrance can come about undetected. Are there any flies in the room at this moment? It's very likely that you can't see any that are here. If you have spotted one, you hadn't spotted it until I drew your attention to it. So it was there undetected. It was there undetected. Now we'll give our attention to God's word and we'll forget about the fly. Flies are tiny. They can come at us from any angle, just like sin. The germ is invisible to the human eye, but what harm it can work in our bodies. It can even bring death. The moat in the eye may be very, very small, but the irritation it causes can stop us seeing properly. It can have a very powerful effect. The man Aiken was only one among tens of thousands of soldiers. But what he did robbed the whole of Israel, all of Israel, of God's power and presence. Joshua 7 and verse 12 tells us that. God says, I will not be with you. I will not be with you. My power, my presence will not go with you because of what this one man has done. So we can lose out with God and backslide and lose the fragrance of Christ in our life because of something very small. Because of something very small. If you go back in Ecclesiastes 1 verse to the last verse of chapter 9, we read, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner. Please note then that a fly can spoil the ointment. If sin is not detected in the life and quickly removed, it will cause great harm. 1 Corinthians, and here I want you to look at these verses please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. You only have to be in the company of those who are evil to be corrupted by them. You have only to hold conversations with those who are evil, and it will corrupt you. It will corrupt you. That's why God's word tells us to flee evil companions. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul here is dealing with a church that has many problems through false doctrine. Galatians chapter 5, the verse 7, Ye did run well. That's how they had started off as Christians. They were running well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. It hasn't come of God. That which has changed you, stopped you running well. It's not of God. A little leaven 
leaven of the whole lump. Now, I'm not a baker or a cook or anything else, but I understand that it doesn't take much yeast to have a tremendous impact upon whatever it is you're baking. And leaven was something similar, I understand. Just a pinch of, of leaven in the mixture of the dough, and it will have an impact. It will have an impact. A little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lump. And a little corruption had come into the Galatian churches. And it had corrupted the whole lump. You know we have every, every right to get really alarmed. At the introduction of any error. It's not something to shrug our shoulders at. And say oh it's not very big. It's not very important. That is not the spirit of the warnings of God's word. It only takes one dead fly to spoil the ointment. Churches may be destroyed by the corrupt behavior of few. Look at what verse 10 says of Galatians chapter 5. Just thinking of what it is Paul is saying. You did run well. What, What has hindered you? Who has hindered you? He says in verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he... He that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. We're down here to one individual. And he was the fountain head of the troubles. Oh, we can never be careless or indifferent about one fly in the ointment. Second Timothy and the chapter 2. <clears throat> and this truth is further outline for us Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings but shun shun do you know what shun means it means to turn away from completely just turn your back on and get away from turn your back on and get away from Shun profane and vain babblings. He's not talking here about profound philosophical teaching. He's not talking here about some great mind expounding some deep views. But even the vain babblings of a fool is to be shunned. Because they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker. Do you know what a canker is? It's a very dangerous and deadly condition. We would call it today gangrene. And people die from it. And the most drastic measures must be taken to save a person upon whom gangrene has begun to work. Oftentimes it's just a little soreness on the foot. And then the surgeon says that that's, that's gangrene. And they will have to amputate the foot. Or maybe even the leg. In order to stop the poison that is at work getting into the rest of the body. God here tells us that the vain bobblings doth act as a canker. And we must shun and keep away from it. Just a fly. Just the bobblings of a fool can destroy the the work of God. If you look on down there to 
Verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust. Purging, fleeing, keeping pure. This is what we must do. This is what we must do. We must guard against even small flies. I might just say this that the picture presented here of a fly in anointment reminds us that sin cannot be contained or concealed. Just one fly in that ointment is ignored. You cannot stop the process of corruption and ascending forth of a stench. You can't conceal it. You can't cover it. And likewise, sin in the life cannot be contained, cannot be concealed. God will detect it, of course, immediately. But also, soon men will detect it. Because as it says here in in our text, in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Send forth, exude. The word is... is, uh, in other places in, in the Old Testament, translated by the word utter or speak. So, that one dead fly in the ointment causes the ointment to speak and tell of the corruption that is there. It sends forth a stinking savour. And when sin enters the life of the child of God, let me tell you, it speaks. It speaks, and others will hear its witness and see its presence. So, we've learned, I think, that it does not take much to mar the sweetness of grace in the life of the child of God, just as it only takes a fly to corrupt the sweet-smelling ointment. Learn, secondly, that the stink is heightened by the former sweet aroma. If you go to a rubbish dump where there are many evil smells, and somebody comes along and throws some more rubbish on the dump, you'll not detect this new stench because the air's full of evil vapors and evil smells. So one more evil smell will not make any difference. But if they were to come into your living room with that same rubbish and dump it in the middle of the floor, you'd smell it right away because the living room has a pleasant atmosphere and a pleasant smell and an evil smell is detected right away and so it is with the child of God just as a stench is quickly detected where once there had been a sweet savour so in the child of God the smell of sin is quickly detected you don't notice a new sin in the life of a sinner you don't notice it but you will notice it in the life of a child of God a stain, a spot will be seen immediately on a nice white tablecloth. But if it's a black cloth, you'll not notice a spot. It'll not be seen. And this is the point that I want to make. Sin is very quickly detected in the life of a child of God. You know, oftentimes Christians can detect in a, in a Christian who has gone astray The fact that they have gone astray, even there is no outward sign of it. They can detect it. And they'll say, you know, there's there's something wrong. 
There's not the warmth. There's not the joy. There's not the love. There's something wrong. How easily sin is detected. How easily the black spot of disobedience to God is, is, is detected in the life of the one who has been endeavouring to walk with God. When I watch an event at home, whenever I can, called the Trooping of the Colour, there are certain regiments that are devoted to the guarding of the Queen. And when one regiment takes over from another regiment, there is called the Trooping of the Colour. And it's a lovely thing to watch. If you have any any interest in military precision, etc. Because there's a lot of, of marching and parading and intricate maneuvers by the various uh, ranks of soldiers. And if one soldier gets out of step, you can see it right away. Right away! Because he's just out of step. He's not doing what everybody else is doing. And when a soldier of Jesus Christ backslides, you see it right away. He's out of step. He's out of step. Psalm 45. All thy garments, verse 8, verse 8 of Psalm 45. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of thy ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. This is Christ. The verse before it, the verse 7 says, God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's the sweet ointment of the holy anointing oil used in the anointing of the high priest, which was a specially beautiful scent. So beautiful was the scent that nobody was allowed to copy it. Nobody. And the garments of the Lord Jesus are scented with this sweetness. But if you break away from him, then very quickly the scent of his garments disappears from your life. Oh, I tell you, when the Christian breaks from Christ, then the stench of sin becomes all the more noticeable. Third thing I want to say is this. The only guard against this happening is constant vigilance. If you have a jar of sweet ointment, you can't leave it with the lid off. You must keep it covered to keep the flies out because they'll be looking to get in. They'll be drawn by the sweetness and if they get in, they will get stuck in the ointment and they will corrupt it. They will corrupt it. So we've got to keep the flies out by keeping the lid on the jar. Do you know what we're talking about? Separation. Separation. We must keep the ointment of grace in our lives separated from the corruptions that would mar. If you turn to the Song of, of Solomon, which is the next book over from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4 of the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> it's a lovely chapter. A lovely chapter. Verse 12 says, and this is Christ speaking of his bride, speaking of the church. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. 
All those terms indicate separation. Enclosed, shut up, sealed. Chapter 4, verse 12 of Song of Solomon. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphire with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. There's a picture of the church. A beautiful, enclosed garden, full of the most fragrant shrubs and plants. And when the wind passes over it, it carries that fragrance far and near. That's the witness of holiness among God's people. But if a garden becomes invaded with all sorts of weeds, it'll lose its fragrance. That's why it must be enclosed, separated, cut off. That's the answer to us maintaining our sweetness, the perfume of Christ in our lives. Separation. Separation. We have to watch and guard. There is the watching that takes place at the place of public exhortation. In other words, the the church service. If you turn to Hebrews, the chapter 10, Well, if you let's read verse twenty-three. <clears throat> Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. We don't have to waver. We don't have to doubt. For the promises God has given us have been given by one who's faithful. So there's no need to doubt or waver. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love unto good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is. Listen. Separation is despised. The doctrine that we seek to preach is despised. But it is absolutely essential according to God. For the preserving of holiness among the people of God. We must come together. And in our coming together. We must provoke one another unto love and to good works. Holding fast the profession of the old faith. If an assembly does not provoke to holiness by preaching the word of God, then it has ceased to be an assembly of God's people with God's blessing upon it. It has ceased to carry out the function that the church was ordained to perform. The more we look at these things, you know the the stronger our views become on the matter. Turn over a little further in Hebrews to chapter 13. We have already mentioned this during our visit in one meeting. Verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is profitable unto you. The assembly that has God's blessing upon it is ruled over by men who watch. Watch for the flies to keep them out of the ointment. Watch for the flies. God save us from churches 
where those who rule over them bring in flies rather than keep them out. And that's what's happening today in the church universal. We have men who by their preaching are introducing things that are contrary to the word of God and are corrupting the church. That's why today Christendom in general is a stinking thing. It's a stinking thing. And many of God's faithful ones, they detect that stench. And they cannot stand it. They cannot be where it is and must withdraw. Must withdraw. Elders and ministers, for in truth, a minister is only a teaching elder. Presbyterianism teaches that there are ruling elders and teaching elders. Paul said that the elder who labors in word and doctrine is worthy of double honor. He was slightly distinguished from the other elders who alongside him ruled the flock of God. And a minister is only a teaching elder. But it is the task of all elders, according to what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, the verse 28, it's the duty of all elders to watch over the flock, guard the flock. They're overseers. Isn't that a good word? I'm, I'm no expert in the English language. But there are times when I stop and I look at a word and I think, isn't that a marvelous word? And the word for elder there, or bishop, is overseer. One who sees, watches over the flock of God. What for? To keep out the flies that corrupt the ointment. Oh, it vexes my soul to think of those that who are called shepherds but act as wolves. For they act so as to destroy the flock rather than feed it. But there is also the watching of personal examination. Not, not just is it the case of elders and ministers watching over the flock to guard them against sin and worldliness. But we must personally take responsibility for guarding our own lives. Second Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul is urging the church at Corinth. As he comes to the end of this second epistle, he says in verse 5, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ, Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. You're to look at yourself. Examine yourself. Stand back and ask yourself questions about yourself. Do I behave as a Christian? Do I talk as a Christian? Do I think as a Christian? Do I have the appetites of a Christian? Do I love the Bible? Or do I try to get through the chapters I'm supposed to read as quickly as possible and I close the Bible and I set it down and I don't remember one word I have read? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Sometimes we, we cut ourselves and, and we examine it. Is it deep? Is it clean? Is it infected? Is it healing? And we, we examine ourselves. And so we must examine ourselves spiritually. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to give you some verses here. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 4. Let every, but let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Make sure that you're going on with God and you'll be able to rejoice that it is so. First Timothy 
the chapter 5, verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, that is, ordain no man to high office in God's house, suddenly. Don't ordain a novice. Neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. That's your responsibility, you see. James chapter 1. The verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's how you keep the the flies out. That's how you avoid being stained by sin. Could I just say this in closing? You and I are never more watchful than when our eyes are closed in prayer. Now it does seem to be a strange thing to be on watch with your eyes closed. During wartime, if a soldier is put on guard, if he's found with his eyes closed in sleep, they shoot him for dereliction of duty. But you will never be more on guard than when your eyes are closed in prayer. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Peter wrote those words 2,000 years ago. If they were relevant 2,000 years ago, if the end of all things was at hand 2,000 years ago, how much nearer the end of all things is now, and how much more watchful. This is one of the reasons why I believe in the study of prophecy, because prophecy will tell us how close we are to the end. And therefore tell us how much more watchful we must be. Watching against the flies that would corrupt the ointment. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts for his name's sake. Amen.